Well, our God is holy, set apart. Even God's name is to be hallowed on our lips. And as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1, as God is holy, we too are to be holy. Our behavior, our conduct, our way of thinking in this world should stand out. Uh, that's what the law was all about with Israel. Uh, the law was a kind of training ground for Israel to take up their role as a kingdom of priests. God had a mission for Israel, and the way they conducted themselves mattered. Fast forward to the church. The way the church behaves, the way the church conducts herself, matters. Uh, that's why it's vitally important that when we read critical verses like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, uh, we don't leave off verse 10. So this is a, a great summary of the gospel. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. A beautiful summary statement of good news. We're saved by grace. Our salvation is God-initiated. God makes the first move. But we don't stop there. We have verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are made for good works. There's an author that I've mentioned before, Klein Snodgrass, that I mention not just because I love his name. He's a great author. But he says this, he says, Salvation is not from works, but it is surely for works. Salvation is not from works, but it is surely for works. Uh, brothers and sisters, our conduct among our neighbors matters. Our obedience, our fidelity to Christ matters. Christianity is not just some head thing. It's not some cognitive response to some affirmations. Christianity is action-oriented, and there is a mission attached to our good words, works. Jesus says as much in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, Peter responds to this, picks up on this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works, your good deeds, and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are put on display as the people of God. We are holy. We have a mission in this world. And part of that mission is bringing people to faith. And so we spent a lot of time on that. Just as a reminder, you see on uh, the banner here that we have four statements of our identity as a people here at Brentwood Oaks. We are a people who are devoted to worshiping God, bringing people to faith, conforming to the image of Jesus, caring for people in need. And since May, we've spent a lot of time looking at bringing people to faith. And we've looked at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. 
as Jesus calls his disciples to make disciples in our going and our baptizing and in our teaching. And then we looked at the book of Ruth and, and how bringing people to faith has a lot to do with our vision, our kingdom vision. Do we see others the way God sees them? Do we have the capacity as the people of God to see the invisibles among us? But now I want to finish off this theme with a five-part series from Paul's letter to the Philippians. So if you want to turn to Philippians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Four chapters. Uh, Reagan Ward is teaching Philippians right now, and I'm hoping that this series will complement what she's doing in her class. But what I want to do in working through this letter is to focus on the missional aspect of Philippians in this series called Missional Spirituality. Missional Spirituality. And this is actually the title of an essay I read earlier in the spring. And these authors talked about the popularity of spirituality. So there's a saying that our society, the Christian culture in this in the West, uh, really grabs a hold of, and that's that I am spiritual, but not religious. And if I were to translate that, I would say something along the lines of, I believe in God, I connect to God individually, but I'm not so sure about this church thing. Well, the problem with that is that God was sure about the church thing. Uh, Before time, before, at the very beginning... God had the church in mind. God had a group of diverse, broken, flawed people to be united together in Christ, to be this new community, this new humanity. And I believe this is where Paul's letter to the Philippians really helps us. Because for Paul, spirituality was not an individualistic thing. For Paul, spirituality could not be divorced from one another. It couldn't be divorced from community, from a people. So in thinking about missional spirituality and the mission attached to our spirituality, connecting with God really was and is a group project. So here's the outline of the series. Today we're going to talk about missional holiness. And then we're going to talk about missional giving next week and then missional praying, missional suffering, missional... Unity and that word missional is really about God's mission in this world and how we join in with God's mission. But as we work through Philippians, we keep each other in mind. We are connected to each other, not just through our salvation, but also through the mission God has entrusted to us. And this morning, I want to talk about missional, missional holiness. A community here at Brentwood Oaks that is set apart, that's holy. And to do this, I want to read the opening verses of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and then I'll read a couple of verses from chapter 2 a little later in the assembly. Uh, Philippians is one of Paul's last letters. Uh, He's writing to a group of people whom he loves dearly. Uh, Paul is in prison. He's writing to a group of people who have really shared in his suffering. They they supplied what he needed. They're a very generous congregation. And uh, Paul has a deep affection for the church in Philippi. It just jumps off of the page. And so this morning as we work through a few verses, I want us to think of three things. 
Number one, a name. Number two, a prayer. And number three, a mission. A name, a prayer, and a mission. So hear the word of God from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you, about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. So what's in a name? Well, for ancient people, there was a lot in the name. Even today, our names have meanings. What does your name mean? I don't think my parents gave a lot of thought to the meaning of my name. They named me after my uncle and my dad's best friend in college. But how did you get your name? What does your name mean? Well, in the New Testament, there are several names, I think a better word is metaphors, for the church, the covenant people of God, the body of Christ. Paul calls the church a letter of recommendation, a house, a temple, a family. You might be surprised to learn this, though, that the word Christian is hardly used in Scripture. It's used three times, twice in the book of Acts, once in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. And yet, our movement is really built around this word, Christian, Christianity. But when you think about names, names and certainly words have the capacity to shape our identity and, and really tell us who we are. And in the letters of the New Testament, there is another name given to the church. We see it over and over again. We see it over 40 times in the letters of the New Testament. It's a, it's a word we've already heard twice this morning. And that is the word saint. We heard it in Donovan's report of uh, his trip and how the saints of the church send their grace and peace to us. We heard it in the song that we just sang together. All the saints adore thee. Now this is a word that's uh, very familiar to those who come from a Catholic background uh, where the word saint was used for a select group of 
maybe especially devout followers of Christ. Uh, there were certain criteria to becoming a saint. But in the New Testament, it's much broader than that. In the New Testament, if you are in Christ, you're a saint. The church is a group of saints. Now, you might not feel like a saint, but the word saint means holy, set apart, dedicated. And if words and names shape our identity, I wonder what would happen if we started to call each other saints. If we did this instead of calling each other brother and sister, what would happen to our mentality if we called each other saints? Well, if you will humor me for a minute, let's take a practice run at this. Uh, This is going to be interactive. And uh, for the introverts among us, this will be painless. We're only talking about 15 seconds here. But I want you, in a moment, to greet the person next to you. And we're actually going to give you a script. There it is. Okay, so I'm going to say go here in a second. Don't say it at the same time. Take turns. But I want you to say grace and peace, saint, and then say the name of the person with whom you're talking to. So on the count of three, and if you don't know the person's name next to you, introduce yourself quickly. 15 seconds, that's all I'm asking. On the count of three. One, two, three, go. Let's bring it back here. That was the longest grace and peace moment uh, that I've ever heard. Uh, I appreciate you humoring me for that. How did that feel? How did that feel to be called a saint? It may have felt a little strange. Now, I don't know if that's going to catch on but I wonder what would happen if we started to address each other as saints. I wonder if that would reinforce something that is so critical, so crucial to our identity as the people of God, that we are indeed a people who are holy. As God is holy, we are holy. We're saints. We are saints who are set apart for a purpose. And it's a purpose that Paul begins to work toward in his prayer in the book of in the letter to the Philippians. Uh, often we get a glimpse into Paul's thinking, into his heart, whenever Paul writes out uh, his prayers. I appreciate Paul writing out his prayers, his inspired prayers. And 
We catch a glimpse of this in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Let me read that prayer again. It's my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I think sometimes, especially if you're a new Christian, you don't know what to pray for, you don't know how to pray. I think the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount is a great model prayer to follow that flow. Uh, It's one of the reasons why Jesus gave that prayer to us. But I also want to suggest that you take a look at the prayers of Paul. Uh, You could Google it, reference it. Uh, It lists all the scriptures there and just peer over his shoulder. What did Paul pray for? in his prayers that he wrote out. I've done this before, and what I've discovered is that there's a great gap. There's much discrepancy between the prayers of Paul and my own prayers, and what Paul values and what I value, what Paul emphasizes and what I emphasize in my prayer life. And I've recognized the need in looking at his prayers and how much I need to grow in my prayer life. And this prayer in Philippians is no exception because what Paul has on his mind is community transformation. And think about your own prayers. Is that something woven into your prayer? Do you pray for community transformation? Well, Paul prays that the saints in Philippi, he prays that their love would abound more and more. That their love would abound more and more. Love. Not the kind of sentimental affection that we find in our modern world. Uh, Sorry, Grandma, with the Hallmark movies, there's a difference between what Paul is talking about here. We find it in Philippians 2, uh, verse 4, when Paul says uh, that we are to look out for the needs of others before our own needs. That is biblical love, sacrificial love, and the community that grows in this love will have the knowledge and discernment and be able to test and and identify what is excellent in this world when we are thinking of others before ourselves. But then we get to these two words in Paul's prayer. He says, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul's prayer is that the community will be pure and blameless. In a word, holy. And I believe that this is a process. As the day of Christ approaches us, God is making us holy. The fancy word for this, and you'll hear it from time to time, is sanctification. The process of God setting us apart, making us holy. We see this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul tells the Philippians that he, God, who began a good work in them will bring it to completion. At the day of Christ. God started something there in Philippi with that group of saints. Saints who no doubt like you and like me are works in progress. But saints who were holy by the blood of the Lamb. Saints who were being made holy by the power of the Spirit. What would that look like for this church to dedicate ourselves to praying That we would grow up as a community into our namesake. That we would be the saints that God has called us to be. Holy in our behavior. 
holy in our thinking? What if that was a major focus of our prayers? But of course, this begs the question that flows out of this prayer. And the question is, to what end? Is our sainthood, is our holiness for us alone? Or did God have something bigger in mind? So in Philippians, we have a name, a prayer, but no doubt our holiness is also for a mission. And we find it here in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. If you would, let's take a a look at that quickly. Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. Paul gets into meddling here. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And and you hear it throughout uh, his letter, the day of Christ, it, it's, it looms large in Paul's letter to the Philippians. But there are those two words again. They're actually slightly different words, but certainly parallel. Blameless and innocent, Paul says. Paul wants them to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that they may be blameless and innocent, holy. But to what end? That they may shine as lights in the world amongst a crooked and twisted generation. And in a world of darkness and evil, anger and malice and deceit and lust and delusion and division and chaos and the list could go on and on and on. God calls His saints, His holy ones, to missional holiness. God calls us to shine in this world. I'm going to close with an illustration that I'm actually stealing from a preacher who had a profound influence on me, my college preacher, the late Forey Grove. Uh, Many of you remember him. He spoke at our retreat seven or eight years ago. He died of cancer back in March of 2021. But he said something when I was in college that I, I really held on to it just hit me at the right moment but I think this illustration draws the name prayer and mission all together in thinking about holiness I don't remember the exact passage that he was referencing but he was talking about the distance between the ideal of the church and the reality of the church on the ground and he used a good old Texas illustration he said the church is like a boot The church is like a boot. On the side of the boot are the beautiful designs, stitching, the embroidery, and we see it. And yet that's the part that's often hidden. Unless you go and mow your lawn in shorts and boots, which I aspire to do one day, that part is often hidden underneath the pants leg, the beautiful part of the church. And yet for those who are inside the church and you've been at it for a while, you know that beautiful part of the church. You know that there is something supernatural going on 
How in the world did we come together as a group? Except something beautiful has been woven together. But along with the beauty that's hidden, what is seen by the outside world is something we also know about ourselves. That we are broken, flawed, fleshly sinners. And often what's presented to the world is the scuffed up part of the boot, the bottom of the boot, with the stains, the spots, the marks. And we live in the tension between both those realities. Both of those are true at the same time. But what Paul brings out in his letter with this word, saint, and the twin word, sanctification, over time, God, who began a good work here at Brentwood Oaks, will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. And as we go through this process, God puts us on display for the world to see. But also, God is constantly buffering, polishing, smoothing out the rough edges, shining the boots in spite of us. Because God has a mission in this world. And God knows us well. God knows that we need help being saints. But the mission is too important for the church not to shine because our transformation, our transformed lives as a people is the greatest sermon that could ever be preached. Our missional holiness, this group project by the grace of God is our message to the world. That something new has happened. Something new has broken into this world. And the resurrection power of the empty tomb is the same power that transforms us from sinners to saints. We are saints. Moving toward being pure and blameless so that we will shine in this world for the sake of the world. And all this for the glory of God's name. So where is God calling you this morning to holy living? What do you need to cut out? What do you need to fill your life with? Our good works in this world matter. Uh, we're going to sing an invitation song now, and it's more of a prayer. But it's a prayer for more holiness. Certainly that benefits us as individuals. But that holiness has a mission attached to it. If you'd like to respond to the good news of the God who isn't finished with us, there are more chapters to be written in our lives to the God who brings to completion that which He began so long ago. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.